The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. It doesn't get much better than this. Wall Street's second quarter earnings confirmed that animal spirits among corporate chiefs and global investors are running high, while pandemic-shy consumers are getting their mojo back. Stay tuned as John Foley walks us through J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Citi results. Welcome to The Views Room. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland this week. Well, Wall Street is back and with quite a bang. This week saw second quarter earnings released from J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Morgan Stanley. While they were hard-pressed to beat the extraordinary first quarter, which saw a massive bump in all their trading businesses, it's really hard to imagine more optimal conditions for the money industry than today's. To hear bank bosses like Jamie Dimon and David Solomon tell it, the party will go on for quite a while yet. Corporate clients and private equity firms, many of whom had to spend a good part of the past year internally focused during the pandemic, are now raring to go. And they have healthy balance sheets and plenty of unspent firepower to deploy. American consumers are getting their mojo back, too. Many households set aside more of their income or those checks they received from the government during the pandemic than ever before. And as a result, banks like J.P. Morgan and B of A are snatching back money that they'd set aside in previous quarters in anticipation of rising consumer defaults, which aren't coming. Their hope now is that companies and investors keep up their frenetic activities while those consumers go out and spend and, if possible, borrow to keep the good times rolling. John Foley, our man on Wall Street, breaks things down. Take a listen. John, all the Wall Street banks have been reporting their second quarter numbers this week. Uh, let's let's try to get the big picture. What does it tell us about the business of banking in America and globally? Right. Well, let's break it down into the three things that the, most of the big Wall Street banks do, because each of them is going in a slightly different direction at the moment. We've had J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells Fargo, um, Bank of America are all reporting similar trends. One is that um, deal making is red hot. So any banks that advise companies on doing mergers or underwrite stock and bond issues are making masses of money from that just because the markets are crazy at the moment. Um, so we saw, for example, merger advisory. Um, Goldman Sachs had an 82% increase in its merger advisory fees. Citigroup had a 77% increase. So if you're advising companies to, on, on doing things to make themselves bigger, then you're in the money. Um, the second thing is trading. So trading stocks and bonds. This is always big business for Wall Street. It's not as amazing as it has been in past quarters, but the, the overriding theme for the last year is that during COVID, the markets have been super pumped up and volatile, and that's been great for Wall Street. You had a piece that said the only for Wall Street, the only bad thing about the second quarter is that it wasn't the blowout first quarter. And that's mainly because of the fixed income currencies, commodities, the big trading arms of exactly. the banks had just just an unbelievable first quarter. Like the, I remember going in a couple of weeks ago, talking to the CEO of one of the banks, and he, he was just like, look, I'm not sure I'll ever have a quarter like that again. But they also had an amazing quarter this time a year ago when COVID hit, when we were all sort of reeling from this new thing that possibly wasn't even called COVID then, but they were all minting it. So this this quarter, what we're seeing is that the banks are reporting, you know, 44, 45% drops in some kinds of trading, particularly fixed income. But still, even after that, 
they're at high levels than they were before the pandemic. So trading is not as good as it was in the first quarter or the second quarter of last year, but it's still pretty damn good. Um, and then the third thing is is just is banking, being a bank. So taking people's deposits, making loans. That's a bit rubbish at the moment because interest rates are so low and customers just aren't borrowing. They don't want to take out loans or so the banks tell us. And that means that net interest income, which is basically what they get from lending, um, is shrinking. And it's shrinking quite a lot. It's, you know, it's down, you know, 10 percent at banks like um uh, you know, JP Morgan is down about 8%, I think. Um, Bank of America is down about 6%. And that's really important because net interest income is still the bulk of these banks' uh, revenue. So great trading, amazing deal making, and not so brilliant banking. Yeah, I was really struck by when I was looking through the JP Morgan numbers, when you looked at their loan growth, was basically, what was it flat to, to down? But the- that's good. Right. That's actually an amazing result because because overall in, in the in the United States, uh, loan growth has loans have shrunk and some of the other banks have been reporting uh, like Wells Fargo today. Its loans are down about 10 percent. Um, Bank of America is down about 11 percent. So so for JP Morgan to just hold flat is actually ahead of the rest of the pack. Amazingly, what people just not borrowing. Was the the uh, the average deposits were up by 23 percent. So there's yeah. all this money coming in. Everyone during COVID either, you know, was saving from their paychecks or they got money from government and other other uh, bailouts or what do you want to call it. Uh, but they're not spending it. So it's just sitting there piling up on 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 in their deposit accounts. And it's uh, one of the weird things also is that the so so consumers overall are kind of in the money. They've got uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of JP Morgan, says that there are two trillion dollars more in uh, checking accounts in the United States now than there were in 2019. And that, that's just people not spending on stuff. It's also kind of stimulus payments, but it's just, you know, restricted consumption that people are now starting to spend again. So they're seeing spending come back on credit and debit cards a bit. But the what they're not doing is borrowing more. So credit card balances are not going up and the banks are desperate to get credit card balances up because credit cards are so lucrative. But what customers are doing is spending more money and then paying off their balances. So it's as if we've collectively we're sort of scarred by the events of the last year and so we're not doing what the wall street would love us to do which is get further into debt yeah well that's it's good from a public policy perspective even if it isn't great for the bottom lines of the banks what about um what about some of the other banks uh goldman sachs of course uh you know the leader in mna your piece the other day suggested that animal spirits were buoying their uh, their bottom lines i suspect that's the case across the board where you have these CEOs and investors and people who in some ways spent a lot of the, the last year and a half focused inwardly trying to figure out how to keep their companies, and their people uh, stable. And now they're jacked up with high stock prices, big balance sheets bulging with cash. Is that sort of what you're hearing from the, the banks? Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's what we're seeing in uh, all of the Wall Street banks. And I still, no matter how many times I write about it and talk to these people, I still can't quite get my head around the fact that chief executives are are raring to do deals and take risks and buy each other and like grow and expand, while the rest of us are still sort of slightly nervous about what's happening to our, you know, to, to the world around us. But it's definitely true that the banks that advise companies are doing better. So you can you can sort of imagine it on a spectrum as having Goldman Sachs at one end, which is really like a, you know, it's an advisory business. That's kind of what they do. And, and they're not really a bank, although they have a bit of a bank attached. 
On the other end, you've got Wells Fargo, which is just a bank. It doesn't really do advisory. It doesn't really do these deal mandates that Goldman does. And they're heading totally different directions. So, you know, Goldman is Goldman's having an absolutely amazing time. Wells Fargo is struggling to grow at all. I like the first flash on your Wells Fargo dresses for party it may miss. The bank is better placed than any big U.S. lender to benefit from economic ruin. The share price is up, but the CEO, Charlie Scharf, is dealing with old messes. Rivals are piling into new digital strategies. By the time he's ready to grow, customers may have moved on. Tell me, tell me what you're saying about this. So here's the thing about Wells Fargo. I, I wrote last year, um, or at the very beginning of this year, that Wells Fargo could be the, the, you know, the winner of 2021 at the financial dark horse, because it's been super unfashionable. Its share price got hammered in COVID. It was a real mess. It had been ripping customers off for years and has paid billions of dollars in fines. It's gone through chief executive after chief executive. But now what you've got left is this bank that is really a pure play on economy reopening because Wells Fargo doesn't have as we said these like deal businesses these risky fancy bits so it's just a bet that people will borrow more the interest rates will go up and if you believe that's going to happen and that Wells Fargo is kind of cleaning up its act which it just seems to be then the shares are a really um, good bet and it's actually I'm pleased to say given that I predicted this it's the best performing big bank stock of the year so far now the problem of course is that like what happens next? Like when Wells Fargo's fixed itself, what happens? Well, at the moment, all the banks are kind of, uh, uh, you know, on about the risk from fintech and the competition from, you know, payments companies, Stripe, Square, you name it, Robinhood on the brokerage front. Um, Wells Fargo needs to be competing with those companies too, but it's still mopping up the messes from a couple of years ago. So while I think Wells Fargo is like a really good like recovery story, the risk that is becoming more clear now is that they're going to be on the back foot when they finally are fixed because everyone else has diversified into these crazy new technologies and they'll just be, you know, giving people checkbooks. I love, though, that it's a good one for the Breaking Views Phantom Hedge Fund for 2021. I mean, we can next week we can talk about the ones that I got wrong, like Peloton. Uh, okay, well, let's not. We'll talk about that on a different. We'll get to the exercise edition of the <laughs> later. But uh, let's go back to the consumer a little bit. I mean, one of the things that JP Morgan came out and, and did was uh, throw back about $3 billion that it had set aside previously in case of uh, consumer defaults. They're able to claim that back. How should we read that? So when uh, one of the big shocks in, for bank investors at the, in, at the beginning of last year or in the second quarter of last year was that banks started pulling pulling aside profit and saying, we need to keep this on, on hold in case people start defaulting on their debts, consumers in particular. So billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars um, was put aside in what they call um, provisions against bad loans or you know credit losses, or different words to describe the same thing. Um, and now that's coming back. So all the way through the crisis, people were kind of waiting for consumers to get into real trouble. And they didn't. And they didn't partly because uh, stimulus from the government, you know, the Biden administration and the Trump administration just sent checks to people effectively. Also, I think there are other things that play. People just, you know, realize that, that wherever possible, they needed to keep themselves out of deep water when it comes to their own borrowings. The upshot, though, is that the bad debt hasn't happened. So banks are now able to give back. They're, they're releasing these profits that they kept on one side. So we've seen that at Wells Fargo, 1.6 billion at Wells Fargo today. Uh, Citi's doing it. Bank of America's doing it. JP Morgan's doing it. And there's more to come as well. They're all releasing this money back saying, listen, we thought customers might go bust and they didn't. So we might as well give this back to shareholders effectively in form of buybacks. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned Bank of America. We haven't really talked about them at all. But they, 
what was how was their quarter? What are, you sort of wrote that, that playing it safe was never less rewarding was sort of your line about them. Um, are they have they pulled back the risk appetite? Is that what they've done? It's, it's a, a weird thing when you think about it next to J.P. Morgan Chase because it's kind of it's similar size. It spans the country. It's like it's a really good bank, um, but it, it takes much less risk and just seems to be less impressive than J.P. Morgan. So they, they some of that is a choice, right? Brian Moynihan, who runs Bank of America, has decided they're not going to take as much risk on trading and stocks and bonds. And that means that when times are good, they do a bit less well. And when times are bad, they do a bit better. And we saw that today. So so most of the banks that who've reported so far, their trading revenue is down, you know, maybe 30 percent on average. But Bank of America is down much less. I think it was down about 20 percent um, year on year. So so that pays off. That's a choice. But then there's the stuff that isn't a choice, which is that they just don't seem to be as good as some of their rivals at the deal making at the, you know, the, what they call investment bank. So Goldman had this 82% increase in its, um, you know, in its, or 80 plus percent increase in its deal advisory fees. Bank of America's were flat. And, you know, they say oh, it was still a strong quarter, but that doesn't, to me, sound like a, in relative terms, a very strong quarter relative to the peers. Right. So they just seem to not excel. They've been reshuffling some people around. They're still big. They're still like in the top five, but, you know, they're number five in the top five at the moment. So there's room for improvement, I think. And so how is all this reflected in the valuations of these companies? I know you, you know, you looked at uh, that JP Morgan seems to have a higher book value or price to book than anyone else, even though its return on equity is a bit lower no? than, say, Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So at the moment, all of the banks are, are much more highly valued than they were at the beginning of the year. Um, and uh, people just have got back into the idea that they, you know, they've passed various stress tests that were set them by the regulator by the Federal Reserve. So we know that the banks are kind of safe. There are no immediate, like, you know, terrible things waiting to explode within them. Um, they're making lots of money, so that's fine. So people are, are, are coming back into the banking stocks in quite a big way. Now, like JP Morgan, though, is is a sort of thing onto itself. It's got this two, it trades at two times its book value, which means that for every one dollar of stuff you own when you buy a JP Morgan share, you're prepared to pay two dollars, and that means that you think that basically they're going to make by our maths like a twenty percent return on equity forever, which is just not really realistic unless you think they've achieved some kind of scale where they can basically defy gravity and maintain a kind of an almost you know uh, I don't want to call them a monopoly because of course they're not a monopoly but like to, to, to maintain their competitive position against all the odds for good which is possible but valuations do look quite high at the moment um, and it's hard to explain that just through the fundamentals. John thank you very much. Thanks Rob for having me. That's our show for the week. Thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast exchange on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Bye-bye.